Kia ora koutou. Welcome to the panel RNZ National. Penny Ashton and Guy Williams with me. Love them or hate them, speed cameras save lives. However, with their latest rollout plans, some people believe Waka Kotahi went too far. The Transport Agency is introducing new cameras that could triple the number of speeders caught each year. However, due to the backlash, they have backed off on a plan to saturate our roads with cameras, worrying that going too hard, too fast, could alienate people. So we ask you, how do you feel if our streets and motorways were completely covered in speed cameras? Is there a point where it's too much and it's infringing on our privacy? With us is Privacy Foundation Chair Associate Professor Gahan Gunasakara. Uh, Gahan, kia ora, welcome. Yes, good afternoon. Um, yeah, it, it, it's a very intri- intriguing issue, isn't it? It but is, I, I and mean, this is on the back is, of, I was going to say, this is on the back of uh, Phil Pennington's very, very good work at RNZ. But do you understand, Khan, why an oversaturation of speed cameras might make people feel uncomfortable? Well, I mean, the first thing to point out is that the streets are public spaces. You know, there's no difference between uh, a person looking in to see who's going past and uh, and a camera doing the same. So... Whether you had like, you know, if we had, for example, um, uh, a half a million um, police officers in New Zealand, uh, God forbid, but let's say we did, and you could station them 100 metres apart, um, there's no difference between that and having a camera. So the, the camera doesn't, the, add, the technology doesn't add anything that a person basically can't also do. But the whole point of surveillance is that it, it's to try and control behaviour. And the issue here is whether it's whether it's having a chilling effect. Are you insinuating that these cameras that they're, they're going to be doing more in the future than just picking up speeding cars? Well, that's the point at which privacy will be triggered because if they're just picking up cars, there's no privacy issue. There's no personal yeah. information unless a ticket is linked back to the to the driver. Um, it's not even clear that the cameras can identify who the driver is. I think the issue is going to be triggered when we get to that point and. Then there are issues as to how accurate that facial recognition technology is. And there's also an issue of if they try and catch collateral offending, like people um, you know, driving while, while um, texting or doing other things. Uh, but so far, there's no allegation that that technology has been un- unrolled yet, unveiled yet. So would, it not be, would it not be good if they were catching people driving while texting? That's incredibly dangerous, right? Oh, absolutely. No, so, but, but, but I mean, I have no, no issue with that as long as, it is signposted. There's been a proper privacy impact assessment, okay. and they made it clear that that's what the cameras are going to do. But I'd be worried if further down the track they reveal that they were gathering vast amounts of data as who was in the car when, you know, maybe selling that information to somebody else. But I mean, there's no allegation of that. No allegation yeah, at all. No, yeah, I have, point out, Gahan, I yes. have no tolerance for people saying it's revenue building when they're breaking the law. You know, this always bothers me. But what they used to do when they first brought in speed cameras was they had a sign that said speed camera area. Mm. And at first I was like, why are they doing that? Then they were giving it away. But, of course, the point is to slow people down in dangerous areas. They didn't even have a speed camera half the time. They just exactly. bought a sign. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a good idea because if you put it in <laughs> yeah. most dangerous places, then everybody slows down. Well, what's interesting, Penny, on the back of that, Gahan, is that surveys show about a third of the public believed cameras were for revenue raising and not used fairly. And the documents showed the government was desperate to overcome uh, that resistance. So um, what Penny's talking about is clearly quite an issue for the government. Yeah, it's about public, uh, public, uh, sort of getting the public buy into this. And yeah, the but then, if they stop breaking I, I, the law, sorry, Gahan first. Yeah, yeah. sorry. 
Uh, no, no, as I was saying, uh, the, 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 uh, I mean, the issue is there's, there's no excuse for breaking the law. And, and, and people use privacy as, as an excuse just to say, I can do whatever I want. But, but sadly, if you're on a public road, you have responsibility. So and, even people, you know, even people now, Gahan, are coming through. This is communist police state surveillance. Well, then, good um, Lord. So I would say don't speed, and then you won't be getting any fines, and you won't be gathering the revenue. You know, it's just as simple as that. It's not maybe if it's at the bottom of a hill and things like that. But even then, you're not supposed to be speeding. It kills people. Yeah. This is stopping people from dying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. I, yeah. I mean, I would, I would invite those people um, who sent that those texts in to, to go to China. And, 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 and see a situation where you have um, cameras everywhere and then the people who jaywalk and other offenders, their, their pictures are, are, are flashed up on billboards. Wow. And what? then they get given a credit, a credit score, which, you know, for their bad behavior, poor driving behavior or Hang poor on. road behavior. It's it's, a, now, it's now we're not, nobody's suggesting that we're doing anything like that. And I think, I think you know, it's the old slippery slope argument. Uh, it's always good to have in mind, but I, I think that that would be that, – that, just basically paranoia. Yeah. Come on, Gahan. Does that, actually, does that actually happen? We might follow up on that. Uh, I it, believe it does in some yeah. large cities like Shanghai. Yes. Yeah, yeah, because it like, it's like that Black Mirror episode where exactly that Yeah, happened. people are publicly shamed. So, you know, if, if you're a repeat uh, jaywalker or you've repeatedly mm-hmm. uh, crossed at a particular crossing, uh, from time to time at that crossing, there will be a large TV screen that comes up with a person's face and saying this wow. person has crossed so many times this, this, this week or whatever. Well, yeah, it's so a it's whole not a, shaming thing. Yeah, and it's not a slippery slope to that because we have privacy commissioners and and you know um, ombudsmen and things like that to stop that. I think. Could, could you explain? Precisely, we've got a long, very long way before we get to that point. Yes. And, and 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 you know, I think people are just using this as a mask, as an excuse to say, oh, we can't right. have any any yeah. kind of uh, law enforcement use. I, I must say, I really appreciate your work. Could you explain just briefly what the Privacy Foundation is? Because I think in the future, uh, or, and now, it's a very important organisation for New Zealand. What do you, what do you guys, what are you, and what do you do? Oh, thanks, uh, Guy, for giving us a plug. Uh, uh, yes, uh, certainly, we, we're not for profit organisation. We operate on the smell of an oily rag. Uh, the, the foundation's not that old. We've been we've been going since about two thousand and seventeen. Wow. And, um, and, and, and essentially it was the idea of this uh, New Zealand's second privacy commissioner, Marie, uh, Dame Marie, I, I should say, uh, Marie Schroff, uh, when she retired from oh, that yes. role. Um, so she and I were, were the sort of founding members. And, um, yeah, we, we've got a membership all, all over the country. We'd love people to join. Just check out our website. Uh, we, we, you know, if, if, in happier days, before COVID hit us, we were you know, planning to have events and do all sorts of things. Yeah, right. But, um, you know, we might resume some of those activities. And we're having a campaign at the moment aimed at children's privacy, especially in okay. tech. Yeah, you know, right. what's oh. going on in schools um, yeah, and, and the online learning environment. Do keep in touch with us when that happens, because we'd love to uh, follow that, because uh, you do some very interesting uh, work in that uh, privacy space. Just coming back to this issue, and uh, I am interested in the technology because quite clearly um, the new iteration of cameras, um, the tech is pretty significant. For example... The worst performing cameras currently were those used against red light runners. They snap just one offender, where the new ones would snap 15. So they, their, yeah, ca- so their the capture angle, is very significant. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so that suggests that maybe this is a revenue-gathering exercise, uh, and I think the government needs to explain that a little bit more Why, why would they suggest that? Yeah, I just think it means they've caught more people breaking the law. 
Well, that, that's right. Yeah, no, I suppose it's a fair point. Fair point. Um, could, could I, I'm really interested in the argument um, revenue gathering, gathering exercise because my dad said that my whole life. But I was watching one of those terrible Australian reality TV programs the other day and I could not believe the, the speeding fines they were pushing out. Yeah, ours are so low. Our fines are so low. Just to give you an idea, in Queensland, um, 10Ks of the speed limit is 287 Ooh. Australian dollars. Uh, 20Ks is 431, 30Ks is 646. Like, that would be worth more than some of the Kiwi speeders' cars. And um, (laughs) I I got caught speeding recently, 25. I'm not proud of it, but I was going from a 100K zone down to a a, a passing zone. I was 20Ks over the limit, and it was $140. It was tiny, like the fees. And, um, yeah, it was just like people say revenue gathering will just compare us to Australia where they have, like, basically zero tolerance. So I think in New Zealand... If anything, we're lax, and that's my opinion. I got a parking ticket in Edinburgh. It was sixty pounds. Yeah, and here it's twelve bucks, <laughs> which okay. is basically like so that's part rent, of the part yeah. of the issue. Rent for a park. Um, very nice to have you on uh, the program, Gahan Kiara. Thank you for your time. You're welcome. Um, that is Associate Cheers. Professor Gahan Gunasakara there, the Privacy Foundation Chair. Uh, and by the way, I wish I'd never said uh, which is better, deep purple or black. <laughs> yes, I told you. <laughs> you unleashed the pits of hell. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> Well, stopping so immature. Black Sabbath, of course, says someone. Immature. Um, uh, James and Nelson says Deep Purple would technically be the better band, um, but Black Sabbath definitely puts the heavy into heavy metal. I wonder if you wrote about it with uh, those eyebrows in the shape that yours yeah. just were. Uh, the music is very different. Have a pleasant Friday. Um, Kate says Wallace, Deep Purple were the best. Listen to it often as a teenager. <laughs> Black Sabbath, not a patch on Deep Purple. Um, and Deep Purple versus Black Sabbath, I could get paranoid with that smoke on the water. Thanks for your feedback on who's the better band. We talk about uh, there's a petition um, for the Queen to acknowledge uh, Black Sabbath more by a group of UK MPs. We go live. <laughs> well, are you, is that we, a joke? What no, you... it's not. It's, and we go live to the UK to talk to the curator of the home of heavy metal from the Birmingham to, um, to see how we can acknowledge Black Sabbath is a band better. Do we need to? <laughs> yeah, we do, apparently. We'll talk about it later, not now. Okay. Yeah, stay listening. Save it, save it. Yeah, stay listening. Uh, but this is really interesting. It's a pretty important information. So we thought we'd highlight this issue on the panel. Dietary supplements, they're booming. Over-the-counter supplements increasing 72% in the past 15 years, despite most people not needing dietary supplements to gain optimal nutrition, and combining dietary supplements and prescribed medications has been found to put patients at risk of interactions between products or toxicity from high doses. It's a new study by the University of Otago Christchurch researchers, and with us is Senior Research Fellow Dr. Jerry McLeod. Dr. McLeod, kia ora. Kia ora, kia ora panellists. Hello. It's a great um, that you could uh, be on to discuss this great issue to raise because so many people take dietary supplements, right? Uh, yes. Well, our study found that about a third or just over a third of our um, cohort members took supplements and of them, half of them also had a prescription medication. So on that, talk to us more about the risk of combining prescribed meds and supplements because many people, I could even say most people listening to this right now, wouldn't know about this issue. Well, I guess the thing is, um, 
unless you know that the things you're taking might interact, you don't know what the outcomes might be. So, um, for instance, if you're taking something for sleep, but then you also go and go to the pharmacy and get some melatonin, you don't know that that might have an additive effect and be even more sedating than what you would normally experience. So these are some of the things that you really need to look at what you're taking in order to know what the risks are. That's that's quite complicated, isn't it? Because no one really thinks of the interactions between uh, your no. you prescribed medications and your just you know um, over the counter um, nutrient pills or your or, or your, your your supplements. Penny, I know you're interested mm. in this. Yeah, absolutely. Because I've been doing my podcast, Shall We Ovaries, about menopause, and I've actually been okay. getting emails from people. I got one just a couple of days ago. Oh, I've got this expert who would love to come on your fantastic podcast to talk about this wonderful supplement that she's developed. That's $150 a bottle. Wow. And with menopause, there is so much snake oil out there, like Nikki Bazant talks about in her book. Mm. Um, and there's just so many people that are trying to cash in on women's suffering through hormonal situations. And like there's very high profile podcasts that are sponsored by apps supplements, again, that are 200 bucks in a bottle. And there's just absolutely no proof for them. So I love that you're coming out with this study and highlighting that because I've, I'm very science-based. I've looked into this stuff for, for ages around supplements. And basically, you're just putting it into the sewage system because that's well, what happens. Well, let's uh, g- g- get a comment from Jerry on that. Mm, well, but like you're exactly right there. I mean, if you're taking something and your body doesn't need it, you're just going to excrete it. So basically, it's very expensive wheeze. Yep. Or yep. If, <laughs> if you want to use the correct word. Yes. Um, and, and this is how this research started is because actually my other um, area of interest is actually menopause. And the, the whole reason we wrote this paper is because my um, collaborator, who is an endocrinologist, was helping me figure out which medication and which supplement was going to affect our female cohort members' menopause status. And I should have you on my podcast. <laughs> All right, enough <laughs> yes, for your you podcast, should. please. <laughs> Thank you. You should. That's great. Um, <laughs> Oh, sorry. And um, what she said, oh, she had to we look at the um, the spreadsheet of what people are on because she was a clinician. She knows what interacts and she knows I'm not a clinician. I don't really know necessarily those details. Right. And she just said, I cannot believe, and I'm going to insert the word rubbish, but that wasn't <laughs> the word she used, but she said, I cannot believe the rubbish that people are using. And I'm like, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. And then as soon as she said, why, well, you know, interactions and, and the other problem is sometimes if you take one medication and a supplement, you're not actually getting the bio, true bioavailability of either of them. So, mm. for instance, your thyroid medication might block your iron tablet and vice versa, so you're actually not getting either of them coming through. Oh, goodness, yeah, I'm epileptic, so I look that up too, and sometimes some supplements can stop the uptake of the epilepsy medicine. Well, this is very important stuff. Yeah, yeah, so so there's dangers in combining dietary supplements with prescribed medications, Mm -hmm. but, like, Mm -hmm. how do we... I'm just an idiot. Like, how do I... Mm -hmm. Do I go... I don't want to go bother my GP. Like, how do I figure this out? Well, believe it or not, there are actually some online tools. I mean, that's how we worked out the majority of the... um, the, the interactions and the excess dosages and things because there are online tools from the New Zealand formulary and places like that. And the ones we're a bit stuck on, we asked our endocrinologist for her expert opinion as well. So there are, there are some tools on the internet that can tell you um, if you might potentially be doing something a little bit um, dangerous. Mm. Um, I've just got a quick um, uh, follow-up question, not necessarily related, but as like an expert... Um, 
Uh, is it frustrating in 2022 with all the misinformation and rubbish that's flying out out there? Is it difficult being someone who's studied this stuff? Um, I find it really frustrating that, um, as was just said before, you know, you get people um, spouting their new um, menopause treatments and yep. their new um, supplements just because they're trying to make a quick buck and it's basically snake oil mm-hmm. um, because there's no actual protection really for the consumer in New Zealand. If you look on the Ministry of Health website, the supplements aren't really regulated as long as you don't say this particular product will cure this issue Mm. you're safe as long as you say oh well a supplement will support this or this supplement might help this as long as you phrase it in a way where you don't say this is definitely going to happen then you're safe you can say whatever you like and and the same is what i've there's actually going to be another paper coming out soon about non-fluoride toothpaste and the dodgy things that we want to cover that too on the panel we'll cover that i want to ask you though so there's there's a lack of regulation in Mm -hmm. Aotearoa then around supplements how does that compare to say the likes of australia um, I think they're a lot more tight, but it's not my area, sorry. Sure? Um, the, no, no. Uh, my other collaborator, Andrea Inch, she did a lot of the um, background research around, um, you know, the increase in the amount of supplements being sold and, and that kind of thing. So, sorry, I'm not I'm not really no, no. able to fully answer no, we'll, that one. We'll, we'll, we'll come back it's, to this. It's nice when you hear someone, an expert, say, I'm not... I can't talk about that. I've never I'm said that. In my, about that. <laughs> in my life, I've never said that. I'm always like, yeah, I'll, I'll have an opinion on that. I'll give it a try. Well, you're generally well, you're not an expert in anything, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I'm not. That's why, I'm just a, that's why we've been invited on this panel. <laughs> exactly. Very <laughs> 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 true, actually. Yes. Uh, we're with uh, Dr. Jerry McLeod, Senior Research Fellow. Very important topic. Very interesting uh, how, how um, dietary supplements, uh, when with, combined with prescribed meds, have been found mm-hmm. to put patients at risk of interaction between products. Um, mm-hmm. So, so just just on that, if you take supplements, it can sometimes stop prescribed medications being taken up as by, the, mm-hmm. by the body as effectively. Yeah. Mm, yeah, like I was saying with the levothyroxine, which is um, a thyroid medication that people take if they have hypothyroidism. If they take that with things like iron. Um, it can stop you um, getting the, the bioavailability of either medication, for instance. So you do have the risk of it either interacting and having you know, an effect, say the double sedation between melatonin and zopiclone, or you've got the mm. lack of bioavailability. But also, if you take too much in the way of a supplement, you can have um, experienced toxicity if you um, if your body if you, if you give your body too much of anything in particular I can so. tell you that if you take a lot of vitamin C it can have a laxative effect I'll just let you imagine <laughs> how I know that but then I was sick once in a fringe festival and I was like uh, I'll just take a fistful of these and it had some repercussions we'll leave that there <laughs> uh, Dr. <laughs> thank you Penny Dr. Drew McLeod kia ora thank you it is uh, 26 past well isn't that interesting we'll come back to that uh, issue I think uh, in terms of the regulation and they're so expensive those supplements yeah Compared to sure. the stuff you can get prescribed for five Oh, okay. Oh, all right. Yeah. Uh, 26 past for the panel. We have Guy Williams and Penny Ashton with me today. Scotland made history this week when it became the first country to offer free pads, tampons, and other period products nationwide. And they've hired their first ever period dignity officer to help implement the legal right to free period products. There's a small issue. The, peri- the period officer is a man. Uh, his name's Jason Grant. <laughs> 
yes. We've done um, it again, men. We have cracked it. What legends we are. I'll just let you guys talk about that. <laughs> I'll just, yeah, you talk about it. Yeah, yeah. You just, I'll just be quiet. Between us two. Go yeah, yeah, you mansplain yeah. that. Uh, Jason's a former personal trainer. A spokesperson said that Mr. Grant was the strongest candidate for the job. Um, so Wimbledon champion Martina Navratilova called this absurd. But having a dude in charge of issues around period products, what are the issues around this? So let's show who to show. Should we start with Penny first? Yeah, yeah I let's think try so. That. Yeah, let's try that. You know what? A little part of me was like, okay, it's great that a man is willing to talk about this and, we're, and we are talking about this, but come on. What, like, 10-year-old girl on the cusp of, of her period wants to talk to this guy? I mean, I don't know. I just feel like it's just so nonsensical. Just common yeah. sense to appeal to young women. They're doing this amazing thing. They're making period products free. Like, this is actually a fantastic news story. But then why would you cut yourself off at the knees with something like this? I just, yeah. To me, he also used to be a, a brand manager for tobacco. And I'm like, so how much do you care about health? Is that one of your previous jobs? And then how are you the best candidate for the job about health and reproductive health? Anyway, I, so yeah, I think this is very silly. And that you should just think about the optics of the situation as well. And, you know, what if you have to appeal to, like, say, a young Muslim girl? You know, like, sure. you're not supposed to talk to men about things like this. And, thing, okay. you know, there's, there's, there's cultural differences. Yeah. Anyway. What about, what about when he comes back and says, well, actually, uh, one Labour MP, Monica Lennon, she said, there is a role for men taking on leadership roles and contributing to positive and respectful conversation whilst ensuring that the voices of women, girls and people who menstruate are never crowded out. So what of that? When Monica, the Labour MP, says that, that actually um, it's not excluding anyone and it could actually bring people in to the discussion, what would you say? I would say that until someone knows what it is to have a period, to menstruate, to have those cramps, yeah. to have clots, to have stains on your clothes, to how to clean them out of your clothes. You know, you need to have empathy and experience with that to be able mm. to talk to young girls about that particularly. Yeah. So I think, you know, this is why it's so important that we have women in all sectors of society, particularly doctors. You know, endometriosis was dismissed for so long as just women's stuff as opposed to excruciating pain. Yeah. Because often it was doctors just going, oh, it's women's stuff. Yeah, and it, we're not saying there could never be a man in this role or something like that, but just making it the first one is quite funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can have 12 women in the role and then you can, like, try a man. <laughs> And just to mix things up a little bit, you know? Or like have one of each so that, you know, he can talk to... And obviously we want women to be able to talk to boys about this and stuff too, but at puberty, it is a sensitive time. Like there was some survey that they did and it was something like 20% of girls want to talk to even their father about their period, let well, alone that, but just... That, that's, but doesn't, isn't that you're talking about... That, exactly that that's like that not issue. many people want to talk can't, to their dad. Yeah, well, well can't Jonathan Grant, um, the, the first... Um, Period. Can't he address that issue about about? Uh, uh, I'm saying I'm know? saying he can, but I don't yeah. think he would be able to do it as well as somebody who's experienced. Yeah, well, well, he says for me, it's about driving dis the discussion from a young age, so boys and girls are included, and there's no way. There's no hiding it away because that keeps it as a taboo topic. So he can address. Uh, I'm just saying, I love how you're always playing the devil's advocate, I'm my, just, son, I'm but, yeah. Yeah, my son. I'm just saying too. I'm just I'm just going to be condescending to you. That, no, I just think it's better that a woman yeah. is talking right. to girls. So, yeah, and, and, and I know nothing about periods, so I'd like to learn more at some point. But this happens all the time. Um, I was at a Pacific Media Centre recently. I saw the head of the Pacific Media Centre, you know, talking about Pacific Island Media was a white dude. It was quite surprising. Yeah. I'll never forget. I mean, she might be of uh, of, uh, of, a, of a minority, but I remember when Dame Susan DeVoy became Race Relations Minister in New Zealand and had to learn what racism was, you know, like, and may, maybe, maybe she knows, but I remember it was a steep learning curve for her. Like, it's just all the time people get promoted into roles that aren't... Uh, she got slammed for it. 
Pardon? Yeah. She got slammed for it at the time, didn't she? she deservedly yeah. so. She should have mm. stood down, but she somehow toughed it out. But like, um, my point was going to be is like, this is just the most comical example of that problem. Like, it is actually is a farce. Really. I mean, it's it's mansplaining of the high disorder, absolutely. All right, yeah. uh, you're on the panel. Uh, it's national. I wish it was in New Zealand so I could do a New Zealand today about it. To be honest, because <laughs> it's it's comedy gold. Like, yeah, I mean, it so is. It's it just is like funny. The most ridiculous thing. Well, anyway, that's so. That's Jason Gray, former personal trainer. Of, uh, the and and product manager for yep. Imperial Tobacco. Uh, <laughs> Scotland's first period dignity officer.